still convinced I wasn't going to be a pastor. I was terrified of public speaking. Um, I spoke on a passage in James uh, about taming the tongue. I remember the opening. uh, It wasn't a very sophisticated opening. I I just told a story about my first French kiss because it had to to do with tongues. (laughs) Welcome to the Midwest Church Planting Project where we connect you with local church planters to learn about life and leadership here in the passive-aggressive Midwest. I'm your host, Davis Johnson. So part of my job at Hope has allowed me to spend some time rethinking the way that we connect with students at the University of Minnesota. It's pretty close by, and when I was first putting together ideas for how to best connect on campus, I reached out to a number of different pastors and church planters through different networks that we're a part of. And I remember being surprised at how common it was for me to hear the way different folks view campus. Some almost as if it was a competition. Others went as far as describing how the local church should essentially be showing parachurch ministries uh, how to do their job. Either way, it became clear pretty quickly that some either thought you were local or parachurch. But this is a false dichotomy. On today's episode, we speak with Brian Lair, the lead pastor of Trinity City Church, and David Mounds, who works with the FCA. The two of them have formed a unique partnership. It's a partnership that's bringing many students to know Jesus, all the while helping them understand what it means to be a part of the church. I loved hearing how both of them learned so much from the other person's work and context. And I do hope you pick up on one or two things. But at the very least, let's remember that we're all on the same team, and let's get after it together. Let's turn there now. Yeah, so David Malms here. I've been serving with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes for, this is my sixth year now. I focus on uh, the Twin Cities college campuses, specifically St. Paul. And how about you, Brian? Moved to St. Paul uh, with my my wife, and we had one one kid at the time. This uh, It would have been the fall of 2008, uh, so we're coming up on 10 years now of, of doing ministry in St. Paul and got to work right away, planting a church, um, being sent out by a church in Evanston and then also partnering with Hope Community Church, uh, in downtown Minneapolis. And we started by, uh, doing community groups, uh, in the neighborhood, coffee houses, pubs, uh, that sort of thing. I remember those days because they had more, uh, unchurched folk or de-church folk that went to it than, than Christians. And from that, after about a year and a half, uh, close to two years of that type of work, we started weekly services for Trinity City Church in St. Paul um, on October 10th of 2010. And so we'll be coming up on eight years on on doing weekly services uh, in St. Paul. And my my family, we, we live a couple blocks from the church building uh, that's uh close to Marshall and Fairview. Nice. Very yeah. good. You were just describing before we uh, hit record about the first time you preached mm-hmm. and how you were sure that you were not going to be a pastor after that incident. That's right. That's uh, right. When did you know you were going to be a church planter and what was that process like? A church planter? Yeah. Well, first I had to figure out that I needed to be um, or being called to be a pastor and that uh, that happened in undergrad uh you can follow up if you want the details on that, but specifically for church planting, that happened more in seminary. I went to Trinity Divinity School in Chicago, the Chicago area, and worked at a church in Evanston doing college ministry with Northwestern students. And both the seminary and the local church I was in um, were 
vocal about church planting. Uh, they, were, they used to do church planting week at Trinity, and I participated in some of the chapel talks and workshops and, and gained a vision for the need of planting churches in North America, which is something I didn't think needed to happen at the time. Uh, I was from the persuasion that there's plenty of churches. Look at all the buildings around. Uh, but then facts are facts, and you look at trends and population growth and um, the number of churches closing and all that type of thing and the needs there. And then also um, what is the most effective way to uh, reach uh, the decline of churches and the growth of population, and that's through church planning. And the local church I was at at the time was was um, speaking the same language. There was uh, a friend of mine uh, that I was in a small group with, the leader of that small group, that he was assessed during the time I was there and got to be walking through that process with him and then just started asking the question myself of um, maybe this is the way I'll do pastoral ministry. Uh, but first, there had to be a lot of confirmation from uh the local church and other other people that knew me because uh, I I think I had to be convinced um, that I had the gift set for such a thing um, and obviously the calling. Uh, so yeah, that's where it happened. Uh, and then once that was confirmed by the local church and assessment processes and family, then the big question was location that we had to figure out from that point. So some of our listeners are likely involved in a in an internship at a church or they're just starting to get some education either through seminary or something like that. And they're feeling called to ministry of some kind, but church planting might or might not be on their radar. So what are some of those things that you felt like you needed to be confirmed in you before you went and planted a church? And, and how did that happen? Yeah, the things that needed to be confirmed in me, um, I needed to get my reps in the pulpit. Uh, and I was at a local church that was willing to give that to me as I stumble, stumbled around that whole experience. Uh, they also gave me, um, opportunity to lead a small group, uh, and just practice the great commission in those contexts and to practice evangelism and outreach. Eventually I was able to come on staff, uh, to do college ministry and practice, uh, ministry on campus that had a, a lot of overlap with, with uh, church planning. Um, my specific situation was the, the local church had a lot of college students that went to it but didn't have a specific ministry or staff person for them. So I was able to start something from nothing, which is very related to church planting. And uh, those, those were great opportunities uh, because you want to not have ideals for planting churches. You want to have uh, experiences that overlap with church planting uh, so that when you're considering it, it isn't so much this is what I would do, uh, but this is what I have done that has some overlap with, with church planting. This is the last person I led to Jesus and saw him get baptized. Uh, this is the last um, ministry group that I was able to get off the ground and I handed off leadership to somebody else. This is um, the amount of times that I've, I've preached and how I have improved in areas that I'm still trying to grow. I mean, I, I really do think that church planning does need good preaching to also be effective. Um, as, as important as the other things are, that one shouldn't be lost either. 
And um, so it wasn't just me thinking about this stuff in a silo. Uh, we had church leaders and my spouse and friends, um, folks that I was in a small group with, all looking into this at the same time. And there was a communal affirmation. Uh, and that, and then at that point, it was uh, getting external affirmation. So it wasn't just all biased to. So having a, a church planning assessment with a denomination or a network is also pretty key. Yeah, that's huge. Talk a little bit more about the landing on the location of the church plant. Yeah, we looked at uh, a handful of locations. Portland, Oregon was one of them. There's three different neighborhoods in Chicago because that's where we were doing ministry at the time. And we also looked at um, two locations in in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And um, there were so many factors in trying to decide which one uh, to do. Uh, How familiar I was with those regional cultures. Um, Strength of the network in each one of those cities. uh, Strength of potential team and and the actual team that I had. Part of it was uh, support of a, of a local church was a consideration and also openness and not only openness, but also passion of, of my wife about that location. And uh, we ended up in uh, St. Paul specifically because it was the one that um, both matched all those types of specific requirements. And also it was... Um, one of the locations that had an open door after open door after open open door as we were walking through that that journey about whether or not we should move back to Minnesota, and so yeah, the St. Paul location we were, we're from Minnesota, so very familiar with Minnesota culture, and I had somebody the other day talked about how I pronounced uh, "rooted" in a very northern way and. <laughs> I have no shame about that or oofdas or you betchas. That's, that's me. That's, that's, and I'm all right with that. Uh, I remember when I was in Chicago that, um, people from Minnesota would come up to me after I preached and be like, you're from Minnesota, aren't you? Because of the way I would say like bag instead of bag or whatever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was part of it. Uh, obviously growing up here, um, tremendous, uh, amount of, um, support and network from family and friends I've developed over the years and, and, and hope community church in Minneapolis was a strong part of that. Having a strong local partner that was excited about what we were doing. The, the free church was also a strong partner at the time, um, in, in the twin cities and St. Paul specifically, we were looking at every one of the locations we were looking at was very similar to the, um, the Evanston, um, ministry. We wanted a college presence and we wanted it to have, um, an urban culture and, and this spot in St. Paul, it's a neighborhood right between the two downtowns and surrounded by not just one dominant campus, but, but several small, small private schools that were started by, uh, pretty much every denomination uh, that was, was in the neighborhood. The Presbyterians started McAllister and Catholics started St. Cain, St. Thomas. Um, Hamlin was by Methodists. Uh, we have Concordia by Lutherans and they're all, they're all right by each other. And um, there were a couple of evangelical churches there that were really encouraging to us to say, Hey, we, we need you here. Uh, we want to saturate these neighborhoods with, with churches. So we weren't the first church plant, uh, there. It wasn't this just really dark spot and we were the only light 
available. It was, we got to join something that, that God had been doing there for, for generations um, and, and be a part of that. So that all, that all confirmed like this is the space and probably the biggest confirmation, honestly, in hindsight was, it was Tracy's suggestion uh, to, to look at this area too. It wasn't really even on my radar. Uh, and then she brought it up and said, Hey, you should look, look into this, you know, Grand Avenue, um, college area in St. Paul. And that was the, what initiated that as the kind of a location. Now, despite already kind of understanding Minnesota culture, I know you were a guy who did your homework when you first planted the church. Yeah. So tell us about what you did to learn the culture of St. Paul and why you did specifically those things. Yeah, there's the the reading portion of it. You you read and study demographic uh, reports, census data, trends, all, all that type of stuff. Uh, so that, that certainly was part of it. And and that helped maybe with I don't know a quarter of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the 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 biggest help was we I was and Tracy and I were determined to live in the neighborhood, not to commute into uh, the neighborhood we wanted to reach. We wanted to live there. Uh, we rented at the time, but that even included uh, purchasing property. And this was in the heart of the recession. I mean, the recession was was just happened when we moved here, and and those initial years of, of church planning work, the recession was just right, right in the middle of the whole thing. Uh, so we had a lot of, a lot of patience, uh, to buy, uh, in that neighborhood because there was just the massive housing crisis that many of us remember. And, uh, so that was obviously part of it because you're rubbing shoulders with people in the grocery store and coffee houses. Um, you're just, you're living there. And then I also worked there. I did a bivocational ministry, um, partially because there wasn't, uh, Obamacare at the time, uh, to to tap into like uh, some, some public aid, so we I worked for Starbucks part time, and they had a very generous um, health package that went with it. That was helpful, but even more than that was the uh, relationships with coworkers and the relationships with folks who would come in there as regulars. It was a large recovery community that went to the specific uh, Starbucks that I worked at on Grand Avenue. And, and just was a learner. I got to know people. And I think the one of the stories I think of that captures that type of work, I was talking to uh, somebody in the recovery community, was a regular at, at, at uh, the coffee house, and was trying to explain this work of church planning to that person. And he was trying to wrap his mind around that it, there was no congregation, there was no church yet, and yet I was a pastor who was, who was attempting to start a new church. And he's like, so who... Who do who exactly do you pastor if you're going to get this past you know this church together? And I asked him, uh, well, do you have a pastor or, or, or a church um, that you uh, want to go to to explore Jesus? And he said, no. And I said, well, I'm your pastor. That's how this works. And he was just blown away by that. He thought that was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And and even those relationships with those that were outside of the church was influential to so many things to some of the language we use and sharing the gospel to even the church name trinity city church came from my unchurched co-workers uh like to that name more than anything else uh because part of the question to them was if you know a name isn't going to be a barrier uh what would be a good name and by far they like church in the title because they if they were to go uh, they would want to know it was a church um and they also liked very traditional names like if it had a Lutheran or Presbyterian, that was better. Um, if it had something like, you know, Trinity or Grace or Mercy, like something that was an obvious Christian term, 
they they liked that because from their perspective they didn't want to go to like you know the woodshed or the shack you know community that's that that was the trend at the time they said if we're gonna be a a part of a, a community to explore Christianity. We want to know that it's a Christian church and not some weird thing. <laughs> no kidding. So that's a good example of like how that practically works mm. through relationships of getting to know um, where you're planting. Yeah. And am I remembering right that you were one who started some community education classes? Yes, yes, yes. That was through, this was before meetup. Um, so that's a, probably a better tool for something like this uh, today. Um, or if meetup existed, it wasn't popular at the time. We used something called Exco at the time, a McAllister student or graduate started it. And it was Exco is short for experimental college. Anybody can teach a class and anybody can take it for free. And so we offered like theology on tap, Christianity for skeptics, uh, types of gatherings that, that people would, would sign up and, and go to. Uh, so I would teach some of those. And then uh, I would also sometimes go to some Exco classes just for networking and learning and that type of thing as well. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, we have a unique guest on today's episode. We're joined by David Malms. David, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's David. I get to serve with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in the same neighborhood in St. Paul Brian's talking about. And my role is kind of to be the St. Paul Twin Cities Collegiate Director. Very cool. And today we want to talk about how the local church can be partnering with guys like David who are already on the campuses uh, where this church is gathering. So kind of how the local church can partner with campus ministries and what that looks like. So to begin, why don't one of you just describe how the relationship between the two of you even formed and how did you actually start doing ministry together? What would that look like? Yeah, Brian from the start casted a really good vision with his leaders that part of their target audience was the college campuses. So really our prime touch point was getting to meet with two of the overseers at a coffee shop one morning. A student had connected with them, invited me into that. Two weeks later, I've gone to chop wood at one of their houses, go to a couple services, and I already want to be a member. So that was just a natural progression of how they were coming to us. I commonly deal with transactional type of relationships with recruiters and jobs because I work with student athletes. They really want inroads with them. And it's even somewhat common for pastors to come to me and I sense really a what can I get out of you type of attitude. And with Brian and Trinity, we really sensed what's God doing? How can we contribute to that? How can we serve you? So it helped develop some trust and rapport pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And that just probably increased the rapid nature of our relationship. Very cool. And and now I've seen with different church planters or pastors who start to move towards campuses, sometimes there's kind of an air of, well, the local church is God's vessel for ministry. And so we're going to show these parachurch ministries what's up, even though they've already been on campus. So talk about how the two of you formed more of a relationship to actually partner and not step on each other's toes, but actually encourage each other in what you're doing. Yeah, that's that's a good point on the uh, a posture that some local churches in their polity have towards parachurch ministry. Obviously, we don't uh, share that posture, even though we would agree with um, God's main tool of making disciples is, is the local church. Uh, historically, that's true, and, and a very good biblical case can be made for that. Uh, however, that doesn't rule out um, the important partner that parachurch ministries are. Uh, and they've been around for, for a long time, too. It's not only campus ministries, but in Minneapolis-St. Paul, 
Union Park, uh, not Union Park, rather, um, uh, Union Gospel Mission is a good example of a parachurch ministry started by local churches saying we can't do poverty relief and community development um, isolated from one another. So rather than having um, an isolated ministry of mercy and, and rather than even maybe it, it coming to some type of competition, we're going to uh, collectively come together and have a uh, uh, an agency, a nonprofit that we all share that takes responsibility for this. I think parachurch ministries at their best is exactly that. It's a it's a tool at the local church's disposal uh, that um, helps us to share resources, uh, gives us some of the best uh, staff uh, that are specialized in their roles because sometimes local churches can't afford uh, to to hire every type of role they could have. And so when local churches, I think, lean into these Christian agencies uh, with a posture of this is your expertise and you're here to serve us and we're here to serve you, uh, really great things happen. It creates a, a gospel ecosystem, if, if you will, of, of collaboration and disciple making. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, so I would say that for those that might be hesitant because of their polity hmm. to lean into any type of parachurch ministry um, to to maybe rethink it, uh, because I don't think you have to undercut the primacy of the local church to do it. I think parachurch ministries exist uh, as an offshoot of local church ministry and as a way to bless them and local churches blessing them as well. Very cool. And, and now, David, I know that your work with FCA over the last six years has resulted in several different campuses having an F- FCA ministry. So you guys have really multiplied across different campuses. Talk a little bit more about how that happened and some of the principles you've picked up along the way. Because I think what you've done with the campus ministry actually has a lot of principles in it that church planters can glean from, as well as campus ministers. Because it's just it's kind of uncommon that you hear somebody who might be on the University of Minnesota campus as a campus minister would then go and multiply to someone somewhere like St. Thomas. So talk a little bit about how that's happened. Yeah, when we talk about scope, it's probably been helpful to even say that I don't think we've forced things. We happen to live in a neighborhood where there are five colleges in a three-mile radius, so it seems more natural to do that. But the practices that we've probably applied are what we've learned actually from Brian and Trinity City Church and church planting, everything from live where you serve to theological vision. It's very common in campus ministry to have a set toolbox of things and systems that you do and you plug and chug and tim keller's language of theological vision would say apply it to the specific cultural time and space Mm -hmm. that you're into so a lot of what we've learned there goes a little bit against the grain of what you're trained to do Mm -hmm. so we try to dance the dance of take the good training we get from our campus ministry but also learn from the local church we're really building a bridge to the local church because we value it so much So even the principles of don't just start with a big gathering like a campus ministry can commonly be known for, but pray through God's calling there, identify a core group of students, invest in them, equip them, mobilize them to be the spiritual leaders on that campus and in their team, and then grow it from there at the appropriate times you put in systems that make sense for that campus. So there's probably a lot more going on, but those have just been a few ways that we've learned from the local church, especially church planters of how to do that well on our campuses. Right. And and you guys have 
strayed away from the traditional model of being an event-driven ministry. Is that correct? We have. Not that events are bad. Programs are do great things. We happen to do less of them. And our bread and butter is a little bit more in what we call discipleship groups. Yeah, describe that a little bit. Yeah, so we happen to work in a college athletic environment. So the team and the community is already established. So we build rapport with coaches to be our people of peace. So we come in making it very clear we don't want anything from you. We're actually trying to add value to what you're already doing. Um, and we think we can add a spiritual component that elevates your your purpose as a coach along with your performance within your team at the same time. So we're there to serve the coach open-handed, not ask for anything. And then from there, we develop inroads to invest and build relationships with their players and help them develop a vision, Ephesians 4, that you are the spiritual leader for your team. You can do it. We can help you in that. And discipleship groups are simply the organic and organized way to show affection and direction to these student-athletes and help them reach their teammates, but hopefully they're lifelong followers of Jesus and that overflows into their vocations and them as parents and husbands and wives and community members someday too. So we're we're not doing it well when we're seeing them kind of fizzle away after college, and we think that's why there's such a strong connection with the local churches. We want that connection to be smooth and help them develop those habits and patterns even while they're in college. Hmm. So, Brian, why don't you describe from your lens what the partnership now with FCA looks like? Yeah, the partnership is relational. I get the joy of of hanging out with David. Uh, This is actually the time that we typically hang out on Wednesdays every other week. Uh, So when we talked about doing this podcast, that's part of the reason I, I came up with the idea hey, we hang out anyways, I can bring David here. We could talk about not just Trinity, but, you know, the larger impact this partnership has. That gives you really a good preview into to the relationship. And there's another there's another uh, staff person that um, that just came on for FCA. That's been a large part of our of our church as well. And it's been mentored by folks at our church, uh, our our people do acts of hospitality for students um, for their ministry gatherings, uh, making bowls of chili and other types of things and bringing them there. Uh, we get to the joy of seeing over the years uh, students uh, being a part of, of Trinity and sometimes getting baptized at Trinity. I, I get to marry some of these students and counsel them. And even not just Trinity, but uh, part of it, uh, the joy that I get to see is uh, seeing other churches blessed by by our partnership as well. I I think about uh, David just got to do a, a student baptism uh, at uh, one of Hope's baptisms not too long ago uh, because there's FCA students coming 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 to Hope as well as among probably I'm, I'm sure a lot of other local churches around Minneapolis St Paul and so it's mainly relational and you get to see that both between our staff and FCA staff and then. Also, that by extension of that to the the students um, and the, the members of, of Trinity City Church, David and I do training together. We did a uh, discipleship making cohort through the Free Church. Uh, he often hangs out with with uh, a lot of our church leaders at conferences and retreats and stuff. Uh, uh, and we ha- we have a friendship. I mean, one 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 great great uh, part of this too. Just so it's not all all business. I mean, I. <laughs> Uh, I got the joy of seeing my kids in his wedding, um, and they got to also officiate the wedding. Uh, David's recent, recently married, and 
my my son was the ring bear and then uh, my three daughters were the flower girls in the wedding and nice. i got to officiate that and it was it was it was so much fun uh so that's just another example that uh you know, the ministry partnership extends deeper than that and all those mm-hmm. factors are in play and i think i i, I want to keep emphasizing too how our partnership isn't seen as just something that we want to benefit fca and trinity alone but mm-hmm. Really, we want the relationship, friendship, partnership to bless all the local churches um, and all these campuses, whether or not we we see numbers increase or baptisms increase of students. That's yeah. that's great to see. But if it's also increasing at other local churches and even other campus ministries, too, I know that's David's heart to see maybe FCA's impact is also blessing crew or university. That might be some partner parachurch ministries on campus. Mm. Um, the the kingdom of God is not um, a work of competition in the free market. Uh, that's not that we're all we're all partners with the same business uh, under uh, our CEO, who's King Jesus, um, and and that's that's the view that we have. Hmm. David, anything you'd add to that from your screen of just what the partnership between Trinity City and FCA looks like today? I'll just echo that one of the biggest things I've learned from Brian is when you ask him some wins of the last year he will very frequently tell you what is technically a win from a local church friend or partner or campus ministry partner and that's not him hiding that there's not fruit in trinity going on there is he just genuinely sees fruit in other ministries around him as a win for the kingdom so he inspires us to get our eyes outside of just our own little area that we're kind of around so he's inspired me in that way that's even led to a part of a partnership going on in the Twin Cities that's quite unique with Athletes in Action and crew. So I think the way he's led his church has rippled into how we're doing things on the campuses in those ways too. Very cool. What are some uh, stories from the two of you doing ministry together or some biggest lessons learned along the way that you could share? I could start with, because uh, a lot of the things we we talked about have been highlights but obviously uh, there's challenges as well i think the biggest challenge with college ministry david talked about this before we started to record is the the four-year window that you have uh that they graduate uh in in at least four years uh for those that haven't figured it out yet they might take a little bit longer (laughs) (laughs) i do that extra lap man that's right yeah i got a, a couple extra years in uh and uh and one of the things that I, I learned about that, not only at, at Trinity, but before that in, in Evanston, is you you constantly are at risk of of failing to reach college students because of that. You can't just assume that they're always going to stick around. Literally, they're not going to. They're going to graduate, and you're going to send them. Um, it's, it's a very low percentage that end up uh, landing a job uh, near, near your ministry. Uh, so that they stick around. That sometimes happens, um, maybe more in St. Paul than, than in Chicago for sure, but still it's, it's a pretty low percentage. And so we're in one of those cycles right now where there's cycles, there's years where there's a lot of college students um, and uh, a lot of student baptisms, uh, a lot of student participation and other, other years where, where it shifts and um, you have a low on one of the campuses. And that's the other unique thing in, in, in the St. Paul setting that I'm sure David can speak to is every campus is different. Uh, so if you overcorrect uh, in terms of like 
you know, we're not getting as many St. Thomas students as we have in the past. So let's lean into that campus. Well, you might lean away from McAllister College because the, the college campus cultures are so different. And you can't be all things to all people, but if you really are trying to reach some of the campuses in, in proximity, like we are doing, it's it's the challenge because it's not one campus that's more of this kind of homogenous culture. It's it's several small campuses that have very, very unique cultures. So that's a re- very real challenge, and we're in a cycle right now where we've seen some students come from other campuses that have been new to us, and, and, and we've lost some some momentum in other campuses so every year we ask the same question all right how do we not drop the ball with college students uh because if if we do like we're gonna look around in like one to four years and there won't be any more college students that that are are part of this ministry anymore yeah one principle i'm thinking of on top of that is or maybe just to build on it say his words in a different way is if you move the target if you're trying to reach college students and you move that target, give it two years and they'll be gone. So you really do have to maintain that focus if that's what you're feeling called to. Um, another thing we've probably learned is, again, Brian's posture towards us from the very beginning wasn't, they have a college ministry going on. How can we bring our students to it? Not that that would have been a bad posture, but that isn't how we led at least. It was, you're already doing something good on the campus. How can we help you? continue that so we from the very start wanted to say and how can we bring them into your setting how can we serve you how can we have a vision that college students are filling your pews and one day serving as deacons in that local church or babysitting people's kids in there and serving in the children's ministry we 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 trust do we want to see that happen but he led with very much of a covenantal like how can we serve you no strings attached and i would just encourage church planters to if if you're in a setting with college campuses, there can be some strife between parachurch and, and churches, and I don't think that needs to exist, and that can be torn down if, if a church planter approaches them in that way. Yeah, that's the, that's the segue award of the hour right there, because my, my next question is, how would you guys encourage church planters to start forging these relationships with campus ministers, especially if they exist in a context that doesn't have five college campuses around? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I know... Even initially in church planning, you almost have to have this edge um, to be crazy enough to do this, that you're you're going to be a catalyst for, for the next movement in your area. And there, there's a little bit of that, that that goes on, and it certainly went on in my heart. I think that very quickly um, the posture for me became as I had more of an honest assessment of, of uh, the Twin Cities and St. Paul specifically, that I'm not the first missionary that ever, ever um, was around here. And there's been churches that have been around for, for centuries now um, and, and other churches that, that, that have planted maybe even um, a decade or generation before me. And um, having a very similar posture towards the parachurch ministries in the area is, is beneficial. You look around and say, there have been folks here longer than us that we can learn from that can do specific things, especially parachurch ministry better than us, uh, than, than one local church can do, uh, alone. So I would encourage a church planner if you're moving into any area to consider the, uh, the parachurch uh, ministries in addition to the local churches and ask, how can we, uh, be a part of what they're already doing and, and learn from them and bless them 
and not see them as part of some type of competition um, that would take away from your ministry, but say, God's at work. Um, and if this really is going to be a movement, I'm not going to start it. Uh, it's going to be a collective effort under the providence of God. And so I want to play my part and I want to preach the gospel and I want to partner and then I'm going to die and my name's going to be forgotten, but the name of Christ will remain. I don't dare build on that. I think that's a good <laughs> concluding note. That's a good word. Uh, I, I didn't have this question written down, but because I, I know the both of you and how you guys think uh, culturally, just how to understand the context that you're in. And like you said earlier, take a theological vision and apply it given where you're at. I'd love to, to hear from you guys how you go about keeping kind of a pulse on where people are at, either on the college campus or in St. Paul. Uh, on an ongoing basis, because surely even since you've planted the church, there's been some seismic shifts in, in the categories that people think with. In, Absolutely. In I'd be Paul. curious to hear, hear you uh, open that up, David. What is what is your pulse on the, some of the campuses around there? What are what are the questions that students are asking, wrestling with? And how do you apply the gospel to those things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I think I'm hearing the question right, how are we in tune with that? And one of our just key questions is, asking non-Christians, what are your questions and hesitations about Jesus and Christianity? And then we just listen and hear them say that. So I live in a sports context, so they usually articulate some sort of, I don't think I can be a Christian. I think I would be a soft athlete, or I can't balance the dynamic of following Jesus and still being intellect, or they can't forge the idea with politics. So those are just a couple of common things that we hear directly from their mouth. We also read the student newspapers and are on the websites and are pretty in tune with the pulse of the campus in various other ways, but trying just to kind of create those rhythms of asking them questions and feeling like they can share whatever it is and we're not going to put them down or try to convert them on the spot. Great. Anything you'd add to that, Brian? Yeah, we um, have never been afraid to address really tough topics uh, that we know college students are talking about and wrestling with in their dorm rooms, whether they believe or not. Uh, So over the years, uh, we've preached on issues of uh, sexuality and gender and marriage. And we did a sermon series through uh, verse by verse through the book of Deuteronomy, which one of my elders said, this could this could sink the church, uh, <laughs> which he may have been right, but it, it did it kind of have an opposite impact, especially with college ministry, because Deuteronomy is one of those books where you have, you deal with laws uh, addressing uh, violence against women. This was even, be- we preached at this before the Me Too movement. Um, there's passages that deal with genocide. Uh, there's just this, all these crazy things that, that come up that, if anybody has never read the Bible, or maybe even if they have, you get to Deuteronomy and there's passages in there that you're, you're just asking, what is this all about? And how does this even apply to me? Or how can I even uh, embrace uh, a religion that has this book or this passage? And right now, uh, Dave and I have talked about this. Uh, my assessment is that politics has become a bit of a religion, both on the left and, and the right. Um, both uh, more maybe socialist tendencies that are quite secular apart from providential work of God and also um, on the other side, nationalistic tendencies that maybe values the 
the present nation that one belongs to is more important than the kingdom of God. And politics is one of those things that maybe historically is, is something that some churches avoid um, unless they're like, you know, in the back pocket of a political party. Uh, but ones that might be a prophetic voice against others, I think need to speak up right now because politics is, a, in, in my opinion, a discipleship issue that since a lot of folks have a religious posture towards their politics, uh, it's become an idol against their their potential posture towards Christ and, and his kingdom. So that'd be another one. I know if students are really wrestling with what does my faith have to do with politics and um, what does the Christian faith have to say about the Me Too movement and immigration and abortion and the LGBT community and all those type of things too. And I think if you're going to especially reach college students, your posture is, well, we're going to lean into that and we have to have a framework to address it. Well, there you have it, folks. That wraps up another episode of the Midwest Church Planting Project. We want to give a special thanks and shout out to Hope Hymns. These guys are incredible. It's what you're hearing right now in your speakers and at the beginning of the episode. They they take old, old hymns and they slap some new melodies on them and make them sound fantastic. You can find them on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else you get your music. So please, avail yourself of that opportunity. Hey, we've been loving hearing from you guys. Simply search the Midwest Church Planting Project on Twitter or Instagram, and you can drop us all your questions, your comments, and your snide remarks. We love it all. Thanks again for listening to the Midwest Church Planting Project. We'll see you back here the week after next. Christ, hold